Join us on October 28th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time for the Commonwealth Club Gala as we celebrate outstanding community advocates who, through incredible acts of service and long-standing leadership in their communities, embody the theme of Stand By Me. Text CLUB2022 to the number 41444 so you can register and donate today. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial and Michelle's co-host for this program. At the Commonwealth Club, we produce hundreds of programs a year on a wide variety of issues online as well as many in-person programs. So head over to commonwealthclub.org MMS for more upcoming programs as well as video and audio of past events. Now, here's Michelle Miao a producer and host of the Michelle Miao Show, and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Hello again, Michelle. Thank you, John, and thank you to all of you who are joining us this afternoon for a conversation about Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, the Netflix series uh, Dahmer Monster, is considered number one, at least for Netflix right now, and I believe in more than you know, a handful of countries. And so we'll be discussing the intersection of race, homophobia, and many different types of oppression within the conversation itself. Our speakers today include Nicole Childress, who's also known as Cola Styles, is the CEO of Beauty and Intellect and also the author of Cola Styles, The Good, Bad, and Ugly. Nicole has a very personal story, and I'll let her tell it when it comes to her encounter with Jeffrey Dahmer and a victim. We also have K.P. Panyasai, who is a Lao-American actor, director, producer, and stuntman. He has a recurring role as Sonton Sintasampon, who play, he plays the father of a victim in the Netflix Dahmer series. Welcome, both of you, and thank you so much for joining us for this program. Thank you for having us. I think a good place, yeah, a good place to start is really having each of you talk about your own connection to the Dahmer story, to Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, we'll start with Nicole. So you want to yeah. ask anything? Yeah. yeah, go ahead and share your story, right? Like how how are you connected to the Jeff to Jeffrey Dahmer, to the Dahmer story? And I open it up in this way because KP has a complete uh completely different story, but Nicole, yours is a personal one. Okay. Well, I'm connected to the story from just having pure concern for a citizen that I, I seen May 27th that um, was um, totally in need of attention, medical attention. And he was, um, unlike the movie, he was uh, in a whole different location. Actually, he was a little bit like two blocks away from the uh, Oxford's apartments. And um, he... He needed help, and I, I truly wanted to help him, and I, and I thought I was getting him help. And in the midst of me, you know, calling 911 to get this help for him, I encountered a man at that time who I did not know was Jeffrey Donner, and he was trying to take the boy away in such a way that just let me know that he wasn't um, a good person and that I shouldn't allow that to happen. And if other just talking and being in his space, I just, I had a sense that he he was evil. You know, some people are, you know, mentally ill. Some people are crazy. Some people are just plain evil. And he was that. And I just somehow was supposed to intervene. And I did that. And unfortunately, it just went a whole different way that it should not have went. I, I, I remember reading about that when the whole Dahmer story came out, uh, three decades ago or whatever it was. Um, but tell us a bit more about that because the, so the police did show up, but instead of helping him, they sent him back with Jeffrey Dahmer. It, it took such a long time to show up. And in the midst of them arriving, the, the location had changed from where we were originally at when I placed the call. So I had thoughts of, of just taking them to actually the hospital. I had thoughts of, taking him into my auntie house who, you know, I had, I didn't know her, but I, I think that if I would have took him there and she would have actually seen him, then, you know, the ball would have been rolling a lot different than what it did roll. 
And um, I just go through uh, the fact that, you know, things just could have been different. And um, the way that Netflix played it was just, it was totally just off in so many factors of, like I said, the the location, the um, events, the, you know, the conversation with Conorak um, saying that he knew who Domino was when Conorak's brother stated on, on, on video that they had no idea who he was, what he looked like, where he lived. They were not even in court at that time. And Synthesophone was even younger when that occurred with his brother. So that that whole scene was just terrifying to even think that he put himself in a situation that caused him to actually go the way that he went. So, you know, that alone was just tormenting and the, knowing that I know that he got away, far away, like in the movie, they got him not getting away like he got away, like he got away way. He locked, unlocked all those doors because you did know he had lots of locks. He was able to unlock all those locks, go from the second floor to the lower floor to out a door to go blocks away from where he was being tortured and molested and drugged to get help where he ran into a concerned citizen like me to help him. And that's what I was doing. And like I said, it just didn't go right. It didn't go right. We're definitely going to get into, um, you know, the, the differences between what happened from what you remember, what you understand, what you experienced and, you know, what Netflix and we'll, we'll talk, I want to bring KP into this conversation as well and get his thoughts um, especially for somebody who has a role, right, in the series. But KP, why don't you share with us, you know, your Jeffrey Dahmer story, if you will, your connection to it. You know, besides being an, an, an actor in the industry, I'm actually a Laotian from the community, a Lao community, and I remember it very well in the 90s because I was in college at the time in 91 and what had happened and the word got to our community real fast, you know, family members. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, believe it or not. I grew up in Illinois, Oswego, Aurora, and I have I had family out in Minnesota's and in the Wisconsin area as well too. So, you know, especially when you're close, especially in the the Buddhist temple, and, the, and everybody else was telling all the families to warn your kids not to go out. Doesn't matter because of the situation. So there was a scare in the community itself, and so. Um, so I have a very understanding of what had happened during that time and and not and also knowing the fact that, you know, um, I live in Fresno, which is where, you know, the connection to basically his mother had reside here in the Central Valley where she had passed away, um, you know, those kind of thing. And then knowing the fact that she lived right down from my friend's place and my college classmate was the one to interview her at that time, during that uh, first professional and at the writing of the B. So for me. My connection is the community base as being Laotian, as a rep, also for me being a refugee and understanding um, the community and the family and the parent situation. And then, you know, and, and of course, it happens to be um, an actor that it's really weird to have a Laotian actor play a Laotian. Mostly we play by someone else. Um, and so that was an opportunity for me to have uh, um, to be able to play that role. So, yeah, that's my connection to the story. And how did you first hear about this? Was was did your agent contact you, or did you hear this? No, no, no. At the time, I did not have an agent. I had no agent. Not that nothing. I've been an actor for twenty to about thirty years. You know, did nothing. It's just anything we do is we go scroll through the the actors' access uh, casting casting. I knew in there was Los Angeles was a professional a bunch of um, Southeast Asian actors in LA that had posted i didn't i wasn't i wasn't involved in the organization the group at the same time but i'm just going through you know and then once i see a name i go this is this this can't be really a uh you know this is a leotian character it's a leotian name and it's really rare that that you get to see a leotian a story about leotian you know and then i just like anybody else submit it and see what happened it's a numbers game and if they call you they call you if not we move forward you know but apparent um the lucky thing is they 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 had sent me um, a script. I auditioned. The script is a scene at the court scene, but I didn't. But the word Jeffrey Dom was not used at all in the audition script. All, all I knew was just a, a court explaining, and I had to speak Laotian at the time. So, um, and then that's how and then the process is, is 
is you know connected to the casting and finally going through the process left and right. I didn't know who was involved in it. I thought it was just hey, you know, just come in for a one day role and that's it. I didn't realize how how impact it was until I I I got cast. So yeah. Nicole, I guess, uh, you know, good question for you off that segue. Anybody from the production studios reach out to you? I mean, I had talked to everybody here and mentioned to them that we had, we had you on my show back in 2012. And that was when, you know, I really wanted to talk to somebody having found out that one of his victims was a young Lao American person and myself being Lao American, I wanted to talk about the failures of, you know, the police and, you know, these systems that are supposed to protect us. I found you. It was very easy to to find you. Uh, actually, I don't remember how, but I was able to find you. So I'm curious, did the production studios reach out to you seeing that it, the information was out there? You, you know, you found Konarak and could have saved his life. Yes, they actually did reach out. I spoke to um, a a person connected with Netflix uh, where they said they were connected to Netflix numerous times. And unfortunately, um, I wasn't able to do the interview. I did decline. Um, I was going through a similar trauma that lingered. And it was just it was just too much because, you know, it's, it's something that will never, ever subside to the point where it's unforgettable. You know, no matter how I try, you know, just like it came up recent, you know, with how all this is all over again. So that it was a bad time when they reached out to me, but they did know and I did let them know exactly what was out there to know about that night. So how it got kind of discombobulated, I don't know, maybe that's just the way Hollywood do things. I'm not sure, but it kind of just was so personal that it bothered me emotionally. And then it, uh, I feel so much empathy for the family still. That's just the type of person that I am. So that's another reason why I wanted to come and specify because it's a lot of things that just did not occur. And it's a lot of things that people think occurred that did not occur. Like my aunt did not live in the building. We did not know where that Jeffrey Dunner stayed. We did not know. I wish we did. We did not know until July 23rd when the case broke with Tracy Edwards. That's when... She found my aunt found out. That's when I found out. That's when only people who knew were those cops who actually took them back and gave them back that night. Now, I'm so confused about how fast they did that. Like, I, did they give them a ride? Did they let them walk? Because it was so it was so fast how when I went into my auntie house, because I was on my way to her house. It was me and a few people on my way to pick up my cousin, Sandra. And that's when I noticed them and then immediately started to see what was going on with him. But when I did go into the house, because the police wouldn't listen, when I went into the apartment, when I did, before I did go into the apartment, I was trying to explain to the cops, like, he's he's bleeding from his rectum, and he's he does the this guy doesn't know his name, and he's being very rough, but I, I think I was so aggressive with Domner, and he was so angry because I was basically interfering with what he was trying to do, which was something totally over the top for anybody to even think. So he had painted a picture of like, uh, I was assaulting him and the police were kind of into his story about me, but I'm like, hey, I called y'all. Y'all need to do y'all job and talk to me to see why I called. And they were being really, really rude and inconsiderate to me. So that's when I felt like I should go and get an adult. And I went into my auntie's apartment, which is down the road from the Oxford's apartment. And when I went to go tell her, unfortunately, um, when we came back to outside, they were gone. And this was all within like a 10, like a 10 minute type of time frame. So that's why I'm like, did they give him a ride there down the road? Did, how did they, cause he couldn't, he was dragging them. That's the reason why I had the problem with him because he was dragging Connor and he, he was d- just really handling him so rough. He was already bruised up from the falls, but no drill in the head, but he was hurt. So I, that, that's that been bothering me that this whole time, too. Now, when um, uh, my auntie, you know, thought like I was kind of overreacting when I was asked and t- actually telling her like something is bad, like going on, like and the cops don't want to listen. She actually thought something was wrong with me. She actually because I didn't know her. She didn't know me. It was my second time meeting her like in a two week time frame. And she actually didn't believe me at all. She actually uh, 
wasn't going to call. I had to really plead and beg with her to call. And I had remembered the squad car number 36 because I, I felt like I needed to remember that. And it, I just did. And I was able to, and she was able to ditch bash the, the squad car number. And when she talked to them, um, she actually believed them when they told her that it was what it was, what they thought it was. She believe that she actually put me out her apartment that day slammed the door on my face and it hurt you know what I'm saying because I was totally distraught and she didn't talk to me again until uh the newspaper clipping that I didn't even know at that time I didn't even know at that time was the boy that I've seen that night she didn't tell me anything she just had it cut out and she called me over there and she showed me out of her wallet and I looked at it and I'm like, yes, that's him. That you know, without a doubt it was him, but I didn't see no 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 story or nothing, just a picture, and I still didn't know. And she asked me what happened, you know, quite a few times and she was writing things down. And unfortunately, um, she believed she knew, like I was telling the truth that night. She knew, like, well, this this is something because that's that was that night that you know you said this was his boy, and if this is his boy, something is terribly wrong here. And she got on board. And um, I don't know at all, like everything that she did, but I know that she believed me then. She believed me at that point. And I was I was um, thankful she believed me, but I didn't know no more to that, you know. And um, the 23rd of July was just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. You know, it was just terrible. It was like unbelievable. And um, for everybody. The society, the fan, everybody, everybody. So um, it's just a, it's still a hard thing to deal with. And I just wish that the Netflix would have got in touch with victims, families and talk to them and witnesses. Because, you know, it's two sides to every story. Um, I guess they automatically just assumed that they would go with the police version. I'm thinking it's the police version because I don't really know who version it is. Because my encounter with Conor Accentisophone and was nowhere near what was going on in the movie. So I'm, I'm confused about that. Nicole, uh, you, you mentioned how, I mean, you, you remember this so care, so clearly and it, has, it continues to affect you as it must affect everyone who's, who's involved, certainly the victims' families as well. But how do you feel then when, you know, the story is retold and when it surfaces up again in the news, is that, just a, a, a new trauma or is it an opportunity to raise some of the issues that that kind of are are brought out in this horrible story or what, what's your reaction when when you hear someone's doing a story about it or but whether it's fictionalized or not well it, it's an added trauma the trauma never goes away it's an added trauma i've been um having anxiety ever since i was 17 when this happened so anything that triggered anything close to that um is is something that's that's just gets me blood pressure. Just it's a it's a hit that that takes me and then it drains me. But it has to be talked about because social media was not out and about like it was. A lot of people don't even really know what really truly happened, and it's an opportunity to share the true light on the the fact of the real. The whole real is that those cops were racist. And if they wouldn't have been racist, they could have did their job correctly by protocol, which was to listen, do a check, and they would have found out something that would have stopped them from giving Conorak back to Jeffrey Dahmer, and it could have prevented those lives after Jeffrey, after that night that occurred. And this could have been a whole different type of story we could be discussing right now. We could be doing an anniversary of 30 years of counteract almost fatal night you know it could have been a whole different scenario so it's troublesome because I bothered myself with this guilt that I keep trying to avoid that I should have just when that thought said take them to the hospital um they took so long I had these thoughts to do that I had thoughts to do that and I just wish I would have done that KP, I know there was a lot there um, that was said in the last few minutes. So we'd love, I guess the same question goes for you, your thoughts. 
you know, I, I you know, I, it's great that, you know, she's, you know, I really relieve a lot of things because for me, you know, I, you understand being allowed growing up and born, but raised in a war torn country and having all the stuff I do have those is still in me. You know, I've been in this country 40 something years as a kid going through the war, seeing war, living in refugee camps or any traumatic, you know, for me, I don't like, you know, the detail more. She was there. All I can do is look at it from the perspective of the father, the family, because they've already went to this trauma, traumatic moments escaping and going through giving you know the kids the family an opportunity in life to come to america and to start fresh and at the same time they weren't vocalized because we didn't want to cause trouble you know understand our community during that time we didn't want to make trouble because we were trying to fit in even though there were things that were happening in the community um for me hearing what the family went through and, and, and discussion about the family, he could have been saved. Yes, absolutely. And knowing that also you understand that there was a case that had, where his brother was molested, that he got arrested. Like you said, if they would have checked on his called in to do the protocol, wouldn't realize he was a registered person. and would have been, you know, would have been registered to that already. But because of that, you know, for me, understanding the story that had happened in the court scene, that's what had happened was going talk about that case. And then, you know, a slap on the hand and letting him go and letting him go and letting him go. And that seems to be the theme of what is throughout the, the show. But for me, you know, for you, especially in that time, 17 years old, going, living life and understand, meeting the family, holding and seeing the article Believe it or not, I, you know, it was all over the news that time when I was in college. After, after high school, it was all over, plaster all over the news because of his mother connection to Fresno. And I've been seeing to daily throughout and recognize that's a Laotian boy. They never say a Lao boy, specifically at the time. But you knew in a community, that's a Lao name. And you knew that the discussion was going around in a community because we were calling, Tethan were calling and warning the kids I was talking about. So... You know, for you, I mean, yes, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's very hard for you to go through the process to understand, knowing that, you know, he could have been, let's say we could have celebrated and he could have been, because, you know, like I said, it's, he's my age, you know, he's, he would have been my, close to my age, younger, but a lot of within that time frame. So, like I said, you know, I, I know you relive a lot of stuff. And for me, I don't know the in and out of what the business of the production does. For me, as an actor, I was just given this specific story, specific character, and to to get as much information because there wasn't a lot of information written about the family. Believe it or not, guys, throughout the newspaper because there was nothing only about the fourteen year old what had happened and 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 in giving back. But beyond that, there was not a lot of photos. There was not a lot of articles. Only a few things from Milwaukee. So, you know, as an actor, it's like I need the information, and I, all I could think was, how can I do this? Um, looking at the father perspective as a, a refugee, as a Lao father, as giving the language difficulty, not causing the trouble. Don't want to, especially dealing with authority, right? Dealing with authority right. in another country. You don't want to deal with authority because you fear, you fear and scare. You left and you escaped because of authority. And confronting them would have been another issue. And so, though, and, and like I said, it's, I commend you and for, for telling the story. And yes, it is a hard subject new generations are understanding more detail of what had happened. Like a discussion is being made about what had happened, especially I, I don't, I can't speak for the rest of, you know, the, the, but for me, for me, for the Lao community, a lot of the generations don't even know about it. Not, they're discovering it, but the older generation like me, we knew about it. But the new yeah. generation discovering didn't know what, what's going on. We didn't know right. about this because right. we didn't talk about it. Our community was a hush hush period. Did you have any uh, communication with or did you meet uh, Conrad's father? No, I have not, have never met the father. I have never. Um, only I saw was a picture of him sitting on a floor. I think it was at, at, a, at a funeral. It's one of the pictures that was, was out. And it's the only thing I knew. And his age was actually the, most the same age as me at that time, about 40, 48, 49 years old. So because at that time, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. And so that age demographic is like, whoa, how, how similar. And that would, I can try to empathize to feel having that time. having, And I have children of my own. 
you know, I have children, Mona. I would have felt that what it felt, what it felt like to have two children and one, and trying to be, the, especially in, in our community, allow the men to be strong as much as you can. We can't, you know, you understand, we shed so much tears as where we don't cry anymore. We don't really see it, but inside, it, we're, we're, we're hurting, we're, we're in pain. And I see it a lot through my, the elders in my community, my father, my uncles, aunts. So I try to understand, empathize what the father, his father would, would have felt and his family must have felt. And trying to see and trying to, and trying to let other people know what the pain is because, some, because he couldn't say anything. Because we don't know how to express this is the things that we need to express. We talk because already going through a war torn stuff, it's hard to express. We've seen it already. So it becomes to the point where it become numb. Just going through the motion. And it's hard. I want to go back to um, something Nicole said and, uh, you know, point blank made the statement that the race, the cops are racist. I had written down here a question of mine, which was I wanted both of you to give your opinion of uh, why you think that Jeffrey Dahmer was able to, I guess, get away with so many victims or was able to kill as many as 17 victims. Um, so I'll go back to Nicole kind of if you wanted to expand on your statement that the cops are racist and why you think he was able to get away. Um, I think the fact that, you know, he is uh, an actually intelligent, evil person and um, he is a narcissist. So being that it was two white cops, he immediately pushed the fact when he called me, uh, he, he called me on my name, called me a black B-I-T-C-H and said that I attacked him. And again, I did do that, but it was because of how he was handling a boy and trying to take him. And I just didn't understand that because I told him help was on the way. And if you were a friend, what's the problem? So he played it the way that he had obviously been doing throughout his whole killing spree. The race car, you know, uh, feeling like he's privileged or and so, he had to. And they actually treated me, you know, like I was the bad person. Like he called 911 on me. And here it is. I'm calling 911 for Conorak, which they weren't even really trying to talk to Conorak. Conorak is on the, the police squad and the, the fire truck came first and put a blanket over him. So he's leaning and sliding off the police car. And I'm talking to him, waiting for the officers, which it was three, not two. It was three at the time. One of them to at least talk to me, get my story. And I'm over here telling Conrad, like, you okay? You going to be okay? And you can just see this relief in his eyes as I'm looking at his eyeball. And we see the red, white, and blue in his eye. You know, and if we think, I'm thinking, you know, everything is fine. I'm sure he was thinking that, too. And then for them to just be so in, in like just so inaccurate with how they handle procedure, you know, I've, I've, I've seen things, I know things, and I know that's just not the way it's supposed to went that night at all. You know, somebody would have pulled me to the side. Well, what made you call? You know, what to what? No one got no type of statement from me. Wanted a statement from me because how he was painting the picture that. You know, I attacked him and he's trying to get away like I attacked both of them. And that was nowhere near the case. So clearly it was racist. Um, no if, ands, doubts about it. And that's that's it. Point blank, period. It was racist. No, no doubt about it. KP, I want to turn this question to you. I mean, for me, watching you play Konarak's father, there is this uh, way in which you in the scenes, how you're dealing with, you know, the, the trial or, or speaking to law enforcement, there's the dismissive attitude that I know all too well. I'm very familiar with that, you know, with growing up in the way that I did and police officers speaking with my mom and English not being their first language. I, yeah. How do you feel about that question of what, why do you think Jeffrey Dahmer got away with, with it all and the treatment of refugees here in this country? So, you know, you know, of course, he like she was, I'm, I'm going to reiterate what she said. You know, he was the way he looked. He's intelligent. He uses charms. He's using any way that he can to to convey to 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 the, the law enforcement. And he got away a lot of way through that. Um, 
the way I see that era. Remember that time, you know, um, a community who was freshly new, you know, going through the process. Um, there were a lot of things, things that were said. You know, I've had experience that because I, I used to interpret a lot of it for my aunts and uncles to like do- doctors, law enforcement. They came through school. And I also had worked with the, uh, a lot of troubled youth and gang kids in the early stage where com- like interpreting for the kids. And a lot of times, you know, they they really ignore the elders or they ignore the family members because of I, I don't want to deal with you. I have a hard time, especially if you see the, the court scene where the judge, even the judge dismissed him because yeah. he had. His English is okay. It was like it's understood, but yet you dismiss me or dismiss the person because of that issue. And so yeah, there there is an undertone. There's a lot of it, that system at that time. Uh, like I said, there was no social media. There was no nothing. They could got away a lot of things that were could have got away. And so how I felt was you know watching the scene and hearing your story and the way you was treated with the three cops and they totally ignoring you. Yeah. I could see that happen. I could feel and empathize, especially when a young man is hurting, looking for help. And you know, he's not a, he's a young, he's a boy. He's a kid. At 13, 14 years old. He's a kid, you know, and, and, and them dismissing him that, dismissing that. And that, that for me break, broke my heart. That was one of the hardest to see, to watch it, to hear, because even though, it's replay on, you know, whatever we told, but reading about it, hearing actually recorded in the statement of the police officer and hearing the actual 911 call, the actual phone call, that really got me. Because if I was that, my brother, I would have felt something. If that, my dad is angry as a father, as a, as a community, I would be very angry. Why did, why did no one stop that person at that moment somebody actually another person from another community saw there was somebody in our community is hurt and trying to help and get you dismiss it anger i think this i i felt little you know for me just to hear that as anger and for the law enforcement and for him to get away over and over again over and over again like he's like you know i got away again i'm gonna do it again i'm gonna do it again and do it again and there was warning were signs with theirs as you said if they were to check the protocol had gone just to do the things they're supposed to do. That's that is, it. Already, That's yeah, it. there was that was in 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 plain book. Yet they ignored because of okay, she's giving me attitude. She's stuff. I don't want to deal with that. She's the all problem. This is an Asian. Oh, no one's really care about that kid anymore. You know those. That's and the, and you said for ten minutes it came in and out. That it was that quick, and because they didn't whatever the situation, they didn't have the care in that situation, that moment and for allow him and then get for, for a man who's in that minor frame, that gives him more power. And you know what? I got, I got away away from the cops. I got away from the judge. You know what? I can do anything. It becomes an invincibility. Right. Right. And, and like I said, it's, it's just pure evil. Nicole, I was reading uh, before this program today, uh, an interview, interview with someone, a journalist who was from Milwaukee was interviewing someone in the LGBTQ community there um, and they were talking about the Dahmer Netflix series as well as the original uh, incidents. Um, and they were kind of getting to has how the the city government, very, very white, very separated from both the black population of Milwaukee, uh, immigrant population, the LGBT communication uh, community in the city. Do you think that has changed at all? Uh, has it gotten any better? Is it just as bad? Is there still a huge uh, I, I, I do think that is getting better um, because their organization is growing and, um, you know, and people are being open and as they should. And and I'm happy that's growing. But the thing with racism, it's getting worse. There's no change with racism. Um, racism is just, there's, uh, it's just no over, you know, like trying to get over it. It's just growing. Racism is getting deeper and darker and bigger and and it's just sad. I had this question um, as well. It'd be interesting to hear both your answers. You know, horrible crimes like this, very traumatic experiences. Uh, who should tell our stories? I mean, when Hollywood wants to make a blockbuster or wants to make a big film about it. Nicole, you had already brought it up earlier where you said so much had got 
uh, convoluted between reality and the show itself. You don't know how that all happens, but what are your thoughts? Who should tell our story? How should it be told? Should it be as accurate as it happened? Um, Yeah. I think that when it's a situation where it is, um, you know, uh, police and there are people aware of the fact that people are still living. I think it's two sides. So I think they should get both sides. You know, the police going to have their statements and things of that nature. So, yeah, do that. Do that. But also interview the survivors and the witnesses and try to get a collation of what is connecting and what's disconnecting and then do both parts and then let the people be the jurors to figure it out because you can't make sense out of something that don't make sense. And that situation at night, no matter y'all could put them stand in the building all you want. It was wrong, period. It don't matter. And another thing about the movie that they did, they had the brothers look mixed up. They had Conorak being the brother that got molested. And then they had the brother that being molested be Conorak, who actually got demised. How terrible and traumatic is that for the family? To not even have the decency to get it right. So y'all putting, you know, putting more trauma, adding more things into the heartache that they're already dealing with. It's just rude. KP, thoughts? I mean, I know there's a lot there, especially you being a storyteller yourself. You, you know, you know, a lot of times I get from our community, um, you know, the father, the mother, we're not, we're not talk, they're, they're not going to talk about it, especially the family. They're not, we're not going to share it because it's so traumatic in itself. Um, I know it opens a lot of wound, but the only people that, you know, the generations that the younger generation are, are sharing are talking about it more than the older generation. Because all they want to do is just, just to live day by day and to do the best and to get through the process. Um, you know, as for me as an actor, you know, I only can I, I get pieces of it. I don't get the full script. I get pieces of what I but whatever it is, and I try to do do my doing del- diligence in trying to find as much information. Because you know, I, I was trying to figure out the families. How do I reach the father? How do I, I get the story? How do I know what exactly what's going on? Um, you know. And and it's 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 very difficult to tell these kind of stories, especially when, like she says, it's two sides of every story. And and for you, you were there. You know what it smells like. You know what it seems like. So hearing that from that perspective is very, you know, like I said, you know, when people write stories, you don't know what where it's coming from, where the the the, the, the accuracies are at. You know, even though there are documents, court documents, but again, the family members, the people that are there that are surviving. We want to hear their voices. You know, for me, as you know, I don't know how the father sound really in, in life because I never heard a, re- a recording of the, of the family. You know, um, I only know is they're, they're from the Vientiane area, the capital city area. And so only I knew a little bits of it, you know, for them. I know a lot of the family members don't want to actually I ran into a, a distant family member when I was at the Sabaiti Fest in, in L.A., uh, a family member said, like I, said I, I kind of told him what I did. He goes, oh, yeah, that's what my uncle. I goes, yeah. Uh, he goes, I hope his word was, I hope that they do justice to my cousin's story. And that was the word I said. I said, you know, all I know is I can, for me as playing that character as a father, I can only, like I said, I empathize what it is to channel what I felt as of every uncle and everybody that I knew what I felt to and feeling of what would happen to my own children. It would have been had it happened to me. And I yeah, for me, it's like, yes, it'd been great to 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 get the actual family members or somebody to hear these things. I don't know what the politics or if it's family members are that you know they've grown so much who will allow it to happen. All I knew was like, you know, hey, there's a story, all right. But at the same time, I was reading the actual different writers, different articles different interviews, watching this resources out there on YouTube, his, in, Jeffrey Dahmer's in, way he tells his story, psychotic, everybody's trying to figure out the mind of him. They don't figure out the mind of the victim, the mind of the family, the mind of what it went through, the traumatic situation, especially the Lao family, the double traumatic from a war to this, how it affects them. And I know, I know, um, 
a lot of family members are are re- re- reliving and and they are reliving that situation just like for me as you know if i ever watch a war story for i watch a kid in a refugee camp i get anxiety because i live through that and so i i i learned to you know i have to talk about it because if i hid it, hide it so long about anything it's just not going to go away so that me sharing stories like me being a storyteller, I'm sharing my family's story. I'm sharing my uncles and aunts, my elders' stories of not even forgetting because generations will forget what had happened. And, and we want to make sure that, that people remember what had happened, the good and the bad as well. And, and, and with this, you know, the story is, is out there and, and people, like I said, she's been through it. She saw there's some accuracies. There are some good points and there's some bad points. There's not inaccuracy. There's accuracies. It's for the audience to say, you know, I see it. Okay. I'm going to do some more understanding. I want to find out a little more about this. Where can I find there's court cases, there's videos where they can learn a bit more about it. This is something, you know, like I said, the interview that the books she writes, things that she talked about, her family, anybody has the discussion, the family to learn more about the other side. And I think, you know, for for me as an actor, you know, I, I don't know what's in the minds of times of directors, other people. All I know is I have a, a moment in the scene to be as honest. I told him to play an honest truth in that moment, to be in the moment as an actor, as much as it hurt. Me going through that process and telling that story to live and to take on whatever that is, that's, it was mentally draining for me. I'm Physically sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, I might not say a lot of words, but internally, I yeah. want people, for me, when they watch that, I want the people to see the father's eye. I want them to feel the pain that this man is going through. As strong as he's tried to be for his family, he can't have his son back. You know, and, and, and that is something for me as an actor, when an audience, like a storyteller, to say, look, this is what this man went through and what I, I feel what he's going through. That hopefully when you watch it, yes, there's going to be a sympathy, empathy, anger. Why does this, this police officer allow that to happen to his son? And so for me, yeah, for me is the story is whoever is telling the stories. Yes, we need to check. We need to hear it all hindsight instead of just, you know, making it up. Because, of course, Hollywood will do things that are different according to what it may be and leave out certain things, but also at the same time for us an audience. You know what? Is it true? I'm going to find out a little more. Or if I don't like but the subject so dark, you know what? I have a chance to click it. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to support it. It's, 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 it's a choice that we make. You know, it's a very strong choice that we make. But in terms of who's allowed to tell the story, sometimes the victim that has no voice at all and somebody has to advocate for the voice of the victim, to be a voice of the community. You know, for me, I should understand our community has been quiet too long. It took, it's too long to be quiet, to hold things. Now we have a voices, especially this, and also all of the things that happened with the Asian hate stuff. Now we have a voice, a community. We need to, be, to, to use that and to, to share the story. And yes, it's going to hurt. We're going to rip those bandages off at the same time. Hopefully we don't want it to happen again. We don't want it to happen again. And in, in the way is, is stories. Even, even, even if it's not in a movie, someone's writing about it. How accurate is that book? How accurate is that article? How accurate is the newscaster saying these? What angle are they coming from? So it doesn't have to be just a movie or series. It can be anything in terms of information that's out there. And for us as a Community is to find out if we want to know what to do or go to, go to the source and right. then decide where, where, what's truth and what's real. Something like 15 years after Dahmer was himself killed, I was at a restaurant in downtown Chicago and uh, our waiter mentioned, and I have no idea how the conversation got around to this, but he mentioned that he had seen Jeffrey Dahmer at a gay bar in Milwaukee um, and it just seems to me there must be lots of people alive today walking around with memories, obviously, of, of the, the stories they, they saw on TV and, and, and uh, read in the newspapers at the time, but also people who knew him from, in one way or another. And I'm, I'm just kind of wonder how they all deal with that to differing degrees. 
um, Nicole, how have you dealt with it? And I, and I really kind of mean this from a, a, an angle of self-care. I mean, have you had, you know, people you can talk to? Have you had um, support to help you deal with uh, what you went through and what you tried to do so, so heroically? Well, um, it, it took a long, long time um, to even come to the, to like the fact that um, it's not, totally my fault um and that's just recent like 2019 up until then um I don't even think like because of social media has helped a lot so many people have been reaching out saying no you did you know and these are strangers they don't they they just know the pacifics and they're reaching and saying so it, you know they don't people don't know each other from all over the world and people have read the book and have contacted me from Saudi Arabia, different parts of the country, and emails and said, you know, things that helped me. So I think me writing is what really started helping me. But again, 2019 is literally the year where I really, you know, feel like for sure, without a doubt, it's definitely their fault. Another reason why I think I fought myself, too, is because I actually seen Domner after that in the Grand Avenue Mall where he got other victims as I found out here and there. Because I never really watched anything thoroughly because it was too much. So I would get little bits and pieces. So I had ended up hearing something about a victim being taken from the Grand Avenue Mall back in the day. And I actually seen him down there and I was there with my baby and I actually followed him. And we were going in the same direction on the bus together. He got off on 25th and State. I got off on 25th and State. But I ended up losing him because I think he knew he was being followed. Plus, I had a stroller because I had my baby. And then ironically, like I said, the 23rd is when we all found out where he was. And, and it was like he was right on the same road that like that night we were going the same way without even knowing. And it's just like if I could have like I'm like, if I if I wouldn't have had my baby that day, I would have definitely been able. You know, so that hit me. You know, that was hitting me. And then that take me back to that night. But I'm in a good place. I was in a good place before the Netflix movie. I had a little down spiral because I've already been diagnosed with anxiety and high blood pressure. And it's it's been since back then. So um, talking about it, because uh, I never talked this much about it and getting stories from people and um, being able to just hear like the people who who hear about it and know it's wrong kids know it's wrong teenagers know it's wrong they like can't believe that that type of situation happened like authorities were involved to that significantly like that close that like that like for real like yeah so that's crazy that no doubt that um that happened like that and that it just you know to let people know like it's out there it's just let me feel that that's a good thing because they, they need to have their light down. Cause I don't know how they were able to get promoted since this incident. I don't know if you know about that, yeah. but they've been getting so much gratitude and that's just that, that sets me back. That kind of throws me over like, because I'm confused to how do you do that when someone did what they did and you just super the people are gone. Families are devastated. This, you know, it's just that part right there, but um this after things die down we still gonna be dealing with our traumas it's never gonna go away you have good days you have bad days and I think that's for everybody who's involved so that's that's my question that's how I deal you know I take the bitter with the sweet being a mom a grandmother helps and you know if I wasn't I don't think I would be sane you know what I'm saying I don't think I'd be as stern and strong to be able to um, just be stuck in those moments. So um, God gave me these babies. So I think that he knew that was going to be the help to help me. Well, it, it, it seems that you, he victimized you, Dahmer victimized you too. For you to have gone through all this time thinking it was your fault when you were the one person who was doing exactly what you should have done. You were trying to help. You were trying to help a perfect stranger. Um, Pure. Concern, just pure concern before knowing what was even going. It was just concern. Like I thought he had got in a gang initiation. I thought he had got jumped. 
I thought, you know, I, I knew he needed help. I did not, you know, think that and someone had to see him before me. He was far away from the Oxford apartments. Someone had to have seen him. I couldn't have been the only person to see him. And that's terrible that somebody would be okay with seeing him. He fell so many times before I got to him. So he had to been falling countless times throughout that whole duration to get to where he got to. And it's just terrible that somebody was able to ride past and not have the, the audacity to just see. Because he's once I got close, clearly kid. I'm a kid noticing a kid that's hurt. So that, you know, that's hard to, to like. Some people are so insensitive and, and, and no compassion is it's terrible. I wanted to go back to what KP had said when you had run into a relative of uh, the victim's family and and talked about, you know, I, I hope that the Netflix series does justice for my cousin. I was thinking about this question about justice. I mean, what does justice look like for all of the victims? Um, this Netflix series, you know, do it's it's gone well, it's popular. Yes, more people know about it. Obviously, somebody's going to profit from it. Netflix will profit from it. You know, but does the profit go back to finding a different solution for the problems that we face? You have a citizen who cared enough for another citizen, a kid who cared enough for another kid. We know the community part where we can watch and look out from one another. I think what happened was the systems failed us if we're listening to this entire conversation. So what does justice look like for the victims? Nicole, we'll go back to you and then have KP answer. Justice for the victims has, to me, um, always been a public apology from the officers with some type of remorse to uh, the families about that night. Um, Even if they did it anonymously to the family, wrote them or something, you know, that would have been a start. Um, I think that Netflix should apologize to, to the family. I don't even know if they really know everything. I know they know my part for sure. So I don't know, but I mean, they hopefully find it in their heart to bless the families with something, you know, it can't bring their loved one back, but just to show, even if they do some kind words to them, say something to them, apologize to them for taking them through that tragedy in the wrong matter with having the, 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 the incident so cross-wired and the misinformation, you know, um, so far-fetched. Um, it was seeming like there, you know, was a bias for the officers when they know it was a highly profiled racist topic from the get-go. And y'all portrayed it as if, you know, they did everything accordingly and everything they do was right and they was correct and, and they, it just wasn't. So just apologies and some some form of fashion would be a start, but nothing can really help this situation because, like I said, it's tormented and trauma for life. I totally I definitely agree with you on that because... You know, the one of the officers retired last year from retirement. From from why I was doing the series, I read it came in articles like, you know, I was trying to find out more. He was just retired after all this year, being back, being stated, being all that retired. Um, you know, for for you talking about me a man got rewarded for something. Uh for me as a father, you know knowing if the, the character, a man that could have saved my son with the stuff, he's been promoted and be able to live his life, yet my son did not live. So I have to empathize with that. Um, justice is, you know, it's very, it's why you see the blind, the, the weight. There's so many ways of, of, of what is justice. It's such a, it's not an easy topic. It seems to be like quick, you know, a quick answer, but we are still discovering what that really justice is for, for the, not just the, the family of the victim, but also those being affected, like you, that are affected by this man, that is still haunted nowadays after X amount of years to be able to feel that. You know, I don't, I can't say what the productions or what they're going to do. That's the choice that they make. 
for me as a uh, citizen, not as an actor, just a be in the community, is to, to, to let people know that there's things that are still going on that's not being resolved. And we need to do, what do we need to do as a community, especially in a loud community? This has brought a lot of light for me in this series, the first time for me, it's historical because there's four Laotian involved in this. First time that I actually saw an actual showing, especially it got me really hard when the lady was doing the chanting, you know, the sukhwat, the kwat, the, the, the lady she was doing. That is very accurate to us because also I want to share something with you personally at the same time when that was happening before I did that scene. I had lost my stepdad who grew up in Minnesota, who was in Minnesota, and all my aunts and uncles and family that came from Minnesota knew the, the family, knew the distance. So I was trying to get information for as they were here. And what that mean, what does does it mean? Is, 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 it, is it solved? Is it completely an, uh, a thing that, okay, let's forget about it. It's all over. No, it's still happening. It still right. exists. For the victim of the families, I don't think they would never get justice. You know what I mean? If you look, yeah, he's gone. He's not physically here. But it, is that is that mean that being defined justice when the guy is gone? Nam is dead. No, it's not justice. He got what he deserved. It's not justice because that cannot bring the the family members back. Of all the seventeen and victim and whatever, I'm, I'm counting more beyond that. That is, is in the neighborhood. The communities are victimized as well too. The Milwaukee communities are victimized. The Laotian communities, the, the LGBT communities are victimized. The African-American community, the people of color are victimized. All that as well, too. So for me, is I want justice. What is my definition? Everybody has a def, def, different definition of what that is. For me, what I think it is, you know what? Hey, we need as human, as community, and I love you being a person that age young, helping another person, a human being to help the giving, to see someone's hurt of a different community, a different race, knowing that that's a human being. That is what we need to do, justice for human, to help each other and, and, and as, a, as, as a whole and as a community. You know, I don't know, I can't not give you the definition what justice is because it still bugs and hurts me because I live with what that, I don't, don't know that's just because I, I empathize of what everybody that actually physically in that neighborhood, in that apartment complex that you went through and living and, and said 2019 and everybody's now reaching out, talking about it. Is that justice? It's process of healing. It's a process. Is it going to resolve? I don't know that yet. Because we see injustice happening every day. Okay. We see things are more now because of social media, it's very relevant. It's more stuff. We see it now when things happen, people do. I'm, I'm not judging. People just put the camera, don't do this separately. But you did, so you actually physically said something, called some, did something, but it was never acted upon. And for you to so say, yes, I want them to, to, to apologize. But again, you know, as I said, for me, I'll be honest, that's a hard, hard, hard question to ask because I see a lot in my life, in my own traumatic, that I've seen a lot of injustice happening. Yes, there's some good in people. There's some good things have changed, but they're still under, then we call it the undertone of things that is still there. I think you had great answers, both of you, and that's part of the, the justice that we can seek. If I may add just a couple of things in my thoughts, I mean, one, you know, um, having a less racist, less homophobic, less xenophobic, uh, I guess, law enforcement system, the court system, the criminal justice system, this all needs to be changed in some way and so that we can keep our community healthy. And that's the other part too, right? How do we keep our community healthy if we can have access to that kind of care? To me, that you know, those are a couple of things that we could do for justice for the, the victims as well. It's a great segue to our last question. And this is um, you know, a question of supporting both of you, which I also think is part of the answering the question about justice. If you're, you're still with us and you tuned in today, thank you so much. I encourage you to go out and buy Nicole's book. And so Nicole, um, the book, the good, the bad, the ugly that's available on Amazon in what other ways can folks support you? 
Um, well, I have, um, I'm a cosmetologist. I've been uh, over a quarter of a century. I've worked really, really hard um, on a hair product. It's called SP4 Hair. Supreme Purpose for Hair is for every nationality. I worked on it 12 years, half of my career, because I didn't want to pick a certain ethnic group for hair to be so perfect. I wanted everybody hair to be perfect. Kids, elders, everybody. So that's why I took 12 years. And I was able, by the grace of God, to perfect it. And it's amazing. And it's SP4, the number four, dot com. And um, you try it, I'm sure that you appreciate it. And uh, it does growth. It stops breakage. It styles. It roller sets. It gives moisture. It does so much. It helps with menopause uh, for the, you know, the people who go through. I'm hitting 50. I'm going through and I'm able to do all kinds of things. It works for weave. And um, like I cover every, anything with hair, this product uh, would definitely help you out. So that's something if you ever choose to support me in that way. And the book is, it's, it talks about that situation, but it's about my life. And I'm totally honest with the good, the bad and the ugly for everything. And and, and if it, I did something wrong, I specified it no matter how dark and deep it was to prevent others from going through the torment listen to your first mind don't ever second guess yourself if something comes to your mind to do it and it keeps do it do it because you can prevent yourself from a lot of mishap and and going i should have could have would have and it's important so yeah that's how you can help me Thank you. And KP, um, I want to tell you, Amina, I'm so glad that they did not cast any other Asian-looking person to play Konarak's father. I'm so glad that they did cast you. They casted a Lao-American actor. I'm sure of it, you know, the way that they were able to get all of the cultural accuracies is because they casted someone like you and, and the rest of the folks who are involved in the series itself. But tell us more. Tell us how we can support you, your craft, keep you in Hollywood, making more movies for us. I, I think one of the things that, you know, I got into the industry, most of the folks have gone to be doctors, lawyers, engineers, right? We tease about being the first generation immigrants, Laotians or Asians. I chose the industry because I have a voice. I'm a storyteller. One of the things is storyteller. I've, for years, I've worked with the communities, advocating our stories, our communities, through stories, through representation. When you see my name out and the big, it's credit. It's not John Jacob or whatever it is, or Bruce Bruce Panyasai. It's Kim Pet Panyasai, and once people see that, it's my my name going am. So I I am happy and, and very happy to be able to be, be part of your community, be able to to share the stories with you and support. Definitely for sure. Follow me on my you know my website. It's kpanyasai.com. Can figure out the other acting gigs that I am. I'm still writing. I'm still directing. To have a voice, I did not wait. I also write to tell stories. I don't wait for people. I've been. It took me thirty years to be able to be. Hey, that's a an act, loud actor. No, I've always been an actor. I've always been a, a voice. But I appreciate. I get a lot of um, support from internationally as well too. Um, you know, like I said, you no know, representation matters. We talk about representation matters in the screens for us to be able to change a lot of things is to be run for offices in your local communities, uh, be involved in the process of what this uh, what a country is by voting, getting your voice heard, uh, donating to organizations. You know, that's how something you can do. Because I do that and I want to support people for that as much as you support me and, and my career and follow my career. Um, and wherever I go, you know, I'm, like I said, I, I'm just blessed to be where I'm at, being from a, a war-torn country, representing my family, representing my community in the best way that I can. And yes, I have both pros and cons for both sides of the community, but it's not going to stop me from what I do. And I want to encourage people that are want to get into the arts, entertainment. I coach, I act, you know, I, 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 I do a lot of consulting in the media. I want people to whatever dreams you have not to give up on it, to pursue it, no matter what anyone else says, to kind of keep pushing forward. It is persistent, persistent. I have been rejected so many times. I put the point I lose count. I've been, you know, I'm not this enough. You heard the typical what Hollywood's industry is all about, but it does not devalue of who I am, where I came from, what I represent. And that is one thing I want 
to encourage you. It's not support. Don't su- it's not about supporting me. I want to support you. I want to encourage you more than anything else that you want to do, no matter what industry you're in. So for me, I'm so thankful to be able to play this role, opportunity to have a platform that's all right, to continue on. And I've mentored a lot of young actors, a lot of people in the industry that want to get into it, the pros and cons. So like I said, you know, I do, like I said, if anybody that wants to understand what this industry is all about, the, the goods, the bads, and the ugly, you know, I, I've been through it. And so I lived through it and I'm still into it. So it's, it, I'm still working hard. And I really commend you as well for this program to have a voice and to be a voice for our community and for all those as well too. So definitely support support each other. As, as we as humans, community of colors or whatever it is, is to support one another. And like I said, you know, my father taught me, laugh, smile, and serve others with unconditional love. That is the message for generations that I've always had in my family. And, and I is not going to stop me from doing and being in the arts is one of my purpose is one of my platform. And like I said, nothing's going to stop. And I always say, and always keep it sexy and spicy. That's what I always tell people. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much to both of you for this program. So thank you to our our special speakers today, KP Pangyasai and also Nicole Childress. So you know what to do to support them. And thanks for supporting us here at the Commonwealth club and for tuning in today, John. Thank you again to our special guests on today's program. And last but not least, thanks to all of you watching or listening to this program. You can find more programs at commonwealthclub.org. Stay safe and have a good rest of your week.